Welcome to the Doll Podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Maxwell. My guest is designer Tamara Casey, whose design house, Designs by Jude, offers over 900 sewing patterns for dolls. Tamara shares her expertise on her popular YouTube channel, giving tutorials that allow budding doll couturiers to create for their favorite muse. Tamara Casey, welcome to the Doll Podcast. Thank you so much, Louisa. I'm really excited to be here with you today. I love your show and I love listening to the Doll Podcast. So thank you so much for the honor to be a guest on your show. Well, I'm thrilled because first, I am a devoted doll sewer since I was six years old. And second, I love your YouTube channel and I make your patterns. So uh, my dolls would like to thank you. I would like to thank them. (laughs) Sewing for dolls is one of the most creative parts of doll collecting. And your pattern collection offers designs for over 60 types of dolls. I mean, that's a lot of dolls. What inspires you to create for such a huge range of dolls? When I first started designing clothing patterns for dolls, I worked primarily with dolls that I personally owned. I noticed there was a gap in the market for specific dolls that were coming out without additional accessory packs. And I could see that people were interested in doing some creating for their dolls or even redressing them, but there wasn't uh, an availability of outfits or patterns. And that's kind of what motivated me to start the pattern line. Later on, I think I took more uh, input from the customers that I already had who discussed different dolls that they could not find any patterns for. So that's how the the one design body turned into 65 different bodies. Although there's some favorites in there, I do got to say. Are you a doll collector? You must be. Initially, no. Um, my uh-huh. my mother is the doll collector of the family. I was more of the tomboy. Um, I learned about dolls really when I had a... Um, consignment store where I had several different vendors. It all started with one of my vendors who was selling a series of collectible Wizard of Oz Barbies. And that's when I discovered eBay and the internet as a sales channel. And then slowly I learned more about dolls. And then I started collecting some dolls myself and then creating for dolls, repainting dolls. And it's sort of just been a lot of different facets about delving into the doll industry since then, before it settled in on the actual pattern company. What was the first doll you collected? Um, I was initially interested in collecting um, Tonner dolls, obviously wonderful designer, Robert Tonner and creator. Love him. Everybody loves him. Um, So I really, really liked the Tyler Wentworth dolls. But when he came out with Elwyn Wilde is really when myself and a lot of other people started paying attention again. There was something so cute and quirky about her that took just a basic fashion doll uh, and added the element of different design things that didn't necessarily have to go together in order to make really unique and cool outfits. And up to that time, you know, I think Tyler's very sleek fashion model, so people were more traditional in dressing her. But when Elowen hit the scene, all, you know, The gloves came off. You could really dress her in any mixed match combination of anything. And that made it so much more fun, I thought, to design for dolls. Well, of course, Tyler is very Seventh Avenue, very fashion. And then Elowen, she's, you know, she's got touches of vintage. She's got touches of fantasy. She is an amazing doll. Now that she is relaunched with a a new look and new friends, it's wonderful what Robert is doing with this doll. 
Absolutely. And I think the market was ready for Ella. They weren't ready for her to go away. So they were certainly anticipating and ready for her to resurface. And you would think after all the time she's already been on the market that pattern sales for that type of doll would have slowed significantly, but they've always been consistent. People have always enjoyed sewing for her. And like you say, with the reemergence on the market, it's just triple folded. I mean, people that didn't sew for her now are sewing for her. People who used to sew for her are sewing for her again. So it's just been fantastic. I mean, it's been great for business, but it's also been fun, super fun for me. It is super fun. And it's super fun to watch everybody create something, then photograph it, then share it. I mean, it brings a whole new vibrancy and fun to collecting dolls. I, I absolutely agree. Ellen Wild has been, you know, sensational and she's been relaunched by Rachel Hoffman and the Virtual Doll Convention. And have you designed patterns for the convention? When the Elowin first was released through Rachel, I did a pattern that was available to the purchasers free of charge through the Virtual Doll Convention. So she commissioned a pattern that was special just for that Elowin release. And then I'm happy to say when her bestie slash nemesis of Nima came out, Nima also received a pattern with the release of those dolls. I got one of the first Nimas, which I was super excited about. And I secretly bought one for a very special parent of mine, not my father. So I'm excited to uh, gift her to my mother for Christmas. She thinks she missed out, but she didn't. <laughs> yes. This podcast is our last one before Christmas. Oh, there you go. I, I make sure she doesn't listen. <laughs> we don't want to tell no, her. No, she has to listen. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so have you done some YouTube tutorials with Elowen Wild? Yes. Um, actually, the two patterns that I came out with in conjunction with the releases through the Virtual Doll Convention both have videos accompanying those free patterns. They were included with the purchase, but they're also available for sale for people that already have an Elowen Wild doll and want to sew for her. So there are plenty of Elowen uh, videos as well as several different fashion dolls. The patterns are available for more than one doll. Therefore, if you have a pattern, but not necessarily that doll, the construction steps will be the same. So it's useful just to watch the video for that pattern design. You can just get so creative and build kind of wardrobes for your dolls through using a style or using a time. And that is so interesting and it infuses such energy into us as creators of doll clothing. I feel exactly the same way. I think what motivates me to create now has morphed over the years. Um, the more patterns I've created the more I've moved away from the basics and more to the aesthetics of what I see. So I'm really inspired by line drawings, for example. If I see something, you know, as you would see on a, on a regular pattern where it just shows you the outline without a person in it, I just look at that design and think to myself, how do you create that? What are the pieces for that? How do you make that shape? And then from there, I just start MacGyvering together different parts and pieces of patterns that I may already have to create a new look. And it's the best part. It's really the most fun. That's really inspirational because often, you know, with um, dolls like Barbie or Cindy or Miss Revlon or any of these, you know, mass-produced beautiful fashion dolls or Jean, when a doll is illustrated or photographed really beautifully, it inspires you, you know, to create and to see the movement and the moment of something interesting happening in that doll's yes. world. It's. I think that the photography aspect has really opened up a lot of people's creativity. Just seeing 
how people pose their dolls and how they choose great care for the accessories or maybe the backdrop. And then you just think, oh, I could do, oh, I could do that. How is she holding that pose? It's kind of the same thing where you're trying to deconstruct how that actually occurred and then recreate it in your own house. It's just, I think it's wonderful, wonderful. Oh, it is. And the lighting and also things like, how do people make the doll stands disappear? (laughs) I want to do a video on that. (laughs) This is like... Please do a video on that, because even I have spent years photographing dolls and, you know, I managed to either Photoshop them out or but it's the most difficult thing with a variety of dolls to find, especially also antique dolls, to find a way of posing them and yet making them look realistic. And I think someone needs to launch a series of really great uh, stands for dolls. I, I agree. I think there's definitely a market for that. And uh, one thing, just a little free tip for you, you can take it out of the podcast, is if you create a trifold and you put a dowel at the top and have fishing line off of the trifold, just like hanging across the top, you can hang your doll to pose. So she really doesn't even have a doll stand, right? So you actually, she is standing. And based on the different things you have in the room available, she could be leaning on the dresser, but she actually is standing based on an invisible wire, which is actually pretty cool. That is really great. What is a trifold? Is that like a little tripod? Oh, no. um, Like when you were a kid and you had to do a project at school, those foam core boards, trifolds, that that gives gives you the perfect ceiling. You can also hang ornamental chandeliers like from the ornament section for Christmas trees like a chandelier above the doll on the same thing invisible string so it's hanging appropriately high behind her I think it's really interesting what you can do from above (laughs) oh I love this this is really great yeah fishing line actually is a great tool and close absolutely I've done that myself you have a YouTube channel which has over 4,000 subscribers. (laughs) So isn't that, that is so wonderful and such an achievement. Are more doll collectors sewing for their dolls? Um, I think that people always sew. I don't think it's something that ever goes out of trend or out of style. I think people are sewing more for dolls and sharing that with others. So it, it appears that the sewing is more, but I think it's probably the same level of actual enthusiasm. The inspiration that I see in the change in the market is more people are having confidence in what they are sewing and having these small pop-up shops or an Etsy store, for example, and really selling things that are beautifully made and it gives people an opportunity to see that what they're creating is not only valuable to them, but to the people that they could provide them for. I'm constantly encouraging my customers. There's some specific ones that are just amazing. Oh, I don't want to do a business, but I'm, I'm like, oh, fantastic. Beautiful. We're going to give lots of details where Tamara's YouTube channel is, where the Facebook group is, how you find the patterns. There's going to be lots of details on a special web page on thedollpodcast.com and, uh, you know, lots of links so that you can learn more about sewing for your dolls. When did you start designing patterns for dolls? The first pattern that I created was in 2005, and it was for a Marley Wentworth doll. And I recently posted in the Designs by Jude fan group to see if people would remember when Robert came out with the crotch stand for dolls. It was actually, there was no straddle. 
I received my Marley and I was so inexperienced collecting dolls that I actually, first thing I did was sew the hole in her pants shut because I thought it was a factory mistake. But then when I went to put her on the stand, obviously I found out it was my mistake. Um, But that's the first doll that I sewed for because she did come out as a basic doll with just a few outfits on a couple of the dress dolls. And that I still sell that pattern today. It's called the Marley Basics. She was the beginning. It was a hand-drawn pattern on a piece of uh, 8.5 by 11 standard size paper and photocopied and sold as a pattern. There was no computer graphics. There was no pattern program. And then as I went on, obviously, I I refined that pattern later. But I was surprised that people also had that feeling that if I had a pattern, I would sew for this doll. And I was so excited to be right because I had no idea that was going to be, you know, 15, 17 years later, I would still be doing that. We're often inspired if there's patterns. For instance, you know, if you think about Bluette and La Semaine de Suzette, the whole idea behind the magazine was sewing for the doll. And, you know, what you do with the doll and uh, La Poupée Modèle, which were the French fashion dolls, again, all about sewing for dolls. So it's something we've always loved and people have always turned to. I think sewing for dolls is a terrific creative outlet. And once you see a pattern there for a doll like Marley, it's so great because off you go. Absolutely. There was just such a short uh, period of time where patterns were produced commercially through some of the big pattern houses like uh, McCall and Vogue. You know, Jean had patterns. Tyler had a stint of patterns. There were some standards like 15 and a half inch patterns that weren't specifically stating who they were made for. Um, But then that went away. I mean, the only patterns commercially available really are for 18-inch American Girl style dolls and then Barbie doll. But that's not really fit to the many variety of bodies available on the market today. I mean, Barbie has certainly morphed along with other manufactured dolls where now she comes in six sizes. So a Barbie pattern today would not fit five of the six Barbies necessarily well unless it was a loose-fitting garment. And also the Silkstone dolls. Oh, right. They'd be amazing to sew for, but they don't fit into any of those Barbie patterns. The vintage patterns are really interesting and the patterns from, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. But then they just kind of stopped at the 80s and everything just looks like dynasty. You know, big ruffles and metallic fabrics. Absolutely. You can't have too much metallic fabric. (laughs) What made you decide to launch your doll pattern business? And tell us about the name Designs by Jude. Well, the as I said, the business was really launched by noticing in the market there existed a gap between what people could play with and what they could make for their dolls. That was the original creation of the company. The Designs by Jude name is actually, um, it represents my family. So my husband is Joel Jude. I have two adult sons. Jacob Jude and Joshua Jude. And then at the time that I started the company, I thought, okay, I'll call it Designs by Jude. Now, I love those Judes, all three of them, but I would say, had I go back in time, I would change the name (laughs) because people think my name is Jude. They think my name is Judy. They just, they don't know where that name came from either. And it's not until you have an established business that you want to go back and, and make it 
make more sense, like use the word pattern in the name, for example, <laughs> versus is she Catholic? Is it St. Jude? You know, it's, um, it's very interesting. But you you do what you can hey, at the Jude. time. Exactly. It's a song. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Beatles fan. <laughs> is, it a, is it a Beatles thing? <laughs> Absolutely. So that's where it comes from. And I have to say, of the Judes, the husband, Joel Jude, is, uh, he, I don't call him that, by the way, he is the most yeah. supportive. If you can imagine someone watching someone decide as an adult, they're going to start creating patterns for dolls. You know, I'm a personal trainer, a restaurateur. I have a lot of different uh, background that has nothing to do with dolls. I'm sure for mm. hours he was wondering what I was doing, creating for these dolls, mm. but always encouraged me. Must it must you must be enjoying it. I love to see you spending your time in a way that is um, exciting to you. And never once thought I was crazy. Although <laughs> it's probably true there might be an element of crazy, but it's okay. That's good. <laughs> and I think you've said something really important there: the happiness factor. Yes, you're happy when you're designing, and we're happy when we're able to make the patterns. It really does give you for me it's my greatest relaxation it's you're present you're in the moment and you you at the end you get something beautiful to look at and take a picture of and share and you know the energy goes on and forward it's the most brilliant thing i love that that's absolutely true and i do think that's one of the best aspects of social media i stayed away from it for a long time but now i really see instead of my concern was always that i would miss someone trying to contact me. I saw it as one more way that you have to keep your eyeballs on everything at once. What I've learned over the last several years, though, is it is the opportunity to connect with other people, not for them to say you never responded, but to say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you responded. This is so fun. And now I'm getting to know you. And we have this interchange and this uh, relationship that you're able to build through being able to communicate firsthand with your customers that become your friends. The next thing you know, you're inviting them to dinner. Of course, everybody lives so far away, right? <laughs> the people you interact with live, like, say, in Austria. I mean, when are they going to come yes. to dinner? <laughs> you're invited, by the you'd way. Be, Please come. <laughs> you'd, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Yes. You'd be surprised. I could, I could appear. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, a lot of us met in Paris, actually, this year. A lot of people from the U.S. came to Paris. And I'd never met, for example, Bradley Justice Yarbrough oh. before. And we all got together. And it was a really magical thing. Sammy O'Dan brought us together. I think the social media does help us get to know each other and get to know what opportunities are, are out there to share. Absolutely. It's been a blessing for sure. So we now know why it's called Designs by Jude. So that answers a question that I did often wonder <laughs> about. So I'm delighted to know what it means. It's very distinctive. So you not only sell patterns, but you supply tiny notions to complete the looks. What current trends do you see in sewing for dolls? How do you put together the collection for your design house? One pattern at a time. Um, I don't I don't necessarily follow fashion trends. If you knew me in my real life, you would wonder if I had any fashion sense, which is fine. <laughs> That's not my uh, forte, but I love beautiful aesthetic and I love to look at beautiful designs. So the things that I think are most on trend is something you touched on earlier in the podcast, which is I think collectors in general, for the most part, have moved away from the dynasty type of look. 
and the giant ball gowns. Not that there's not still a place for gorgeous, glamorous gowns. There will always be. But I don't think people sew things that necessarily all look like prom dresses now. People are much more conscious of waterfall draping front coats or the latest type of flare in the pants and things like that. Um, so I think the biggest trend is more modern and current styles for both the vintage dolls as well as dolls that are modern. So I see Jean dressed in, like what you're saying, dungarees versus her original office outfit or something like that. Um, and that, for me, has been fantastic. I, like I said, like to deconstruct fashion by looking at it and then deciding how people created it. Normal pattern, traditional pattern designers, I think, come from the aspect of it starts as a blocker and you make these adjustments. I'm not a traditional pattern designer. I don't even necessarily follow any of the traditional ways of doing it. I look at it and think, what piece is that? How is that curve created? And I have to literally draw it out on paper, not the sketch of the outfit, but what the pattern piece would look like and then work my way almost backwards and then refit and refit and refit. So it's mostly trial by error <laughs> versus people will say, can you just make that for another doll as if I just change the measurements and it magically produces it in a program? That would be fantastic. Um, but I don't. I don't do it like that. I get the doll out and then we, we work together. <laughs> oh, she that's agrees. Wonderful. She agrees not to gain any weight, and I agree not to poke her with too many pins, and it works out pretty good. So, Well, you know, you just said the right thing about dolls, because that is the thing about them. They are a little bit static, and then it's us that gives them the movement with beautiful clothes or the way we pose them, you know, and that is the thing about them. This sounds like such a creative process. What's your background in design? How did you learn to do this? Okay. Um, pencil and paper. <laughs> it's my entire background. Sounds I've had good. no, yes, no formal training in it. Like I said, the first patterns were hand drawn. I would cut them out, sew them, redraw them until I had something that was pretty, pretty adequately fitting, <laughs> I guess I should say. When I bought the Fletcher Pattern Company in 2008, I was very, very fortunate to make that connection and that acquisition because Gary Fletcher was a fantastic a traditionally trained designer. Therefore, I had about 70 patterns at the time. He had about 70 at the time. His were all computer drafted programs and the fit was so beautiful. One of the key things he said to me when we made the tra transaction for that business was he said, you know, fit really is everything. And even though I thought at the time in 2008 that I understood what he meant, <laughs> I still had to work a little bit on what he meant. Fit is everything. And now I really do understand, it took a long time, but that um, it's really going to make a difference if someone has to have your knowledge to sew the pattern or if it would be usable for any level. You know, I, mean, I don't mean, inner, you know, beginning to advanced. I mean, someone shouldn't have to know that your curve is going to extend past the fabric and you're going to need to trim it off. It should have fit from the beginning. And uh, that's what I try to do with the products now. Obviously, I have a wide variety of products out there. And if I could go back in time and correct every single one to make it perfect, I would. But that would take away from what I can create even better and more exciting today. So it's kind of a, a trade-off. Well, I can actually say that I've made your patterns. For example, at the moment, I'm working on one for uh, Madame Alexandra's Sissy doll. And it fits. You just cut everything out 
put it together, sure, you fit it on the doll, but you're getting total joy out of it because you're not constantly stressing about why is it too tight or why it just fits beautifully. Thank you so much. I I will always work to improve that. When I did purchase the pattern company with Gary, one thing he had that helped me with the fit was he had a lot of designs with zippers. And if something's going to make uh, make or break an outfit, if you zip something up, it is either going to fit or it's not. You have a little bit more flexibility with snaps or a different type of closure where you can move them closer or farther based on the final seam allowance. But when it comes to a zipper, boy, you do not want to be wrong about the fit. I think that really helped me to, you know, make sure that my scaling was better. <laughs> Are zippers one of the accessories you sell for dolls? Yes, and I am a huge fan of zippers. I have to say, when I first started using them, I was completely horrified. And so much so, I never really learned how to do it. I just kept practicing and practicing. Now I can put a zipper in with barely pinning it in to an outfit. And so I, when I wow. did a, a YouTube video about <laughs> installing a zipper, someone made a comment. They said, why aren't you using a zipper foot? And I thought is there a zipper foot? I didn't even know there was. I had never, I sew everything with my standard foot. I never switch it. And I just thought that was fascinating that there was a zipper foot out there. And I tried it, but I prefer to do it the way that I, that I know. I have sewed, as I said, since I was six. I've made clothes for me, my family, and so many outfits for dolls. And often I don't change to the zipper foot. And yes, I know you should. <laughs> And no, mother, you shouldn't. <laughs> my mother used to tell me, but, but, you know, sometimes there's just not time to think of all those things. And you're just so in the moment that you That's just right. keep sewing. I find you can cope without it. But I'm, I'm really thrilled to know you have them because I have a supply, but it's running out. <laughs> They're very difficult to get with the really tiny, you know, poles on them and everything suitable for dolls. Have you replaced the zipper pole? Have you used no. like one zipper for multiple projects by replacing the zipper pole? No, I've never taken that out. Oh, you need to do that. So if you get a 12-inch zipper, you can yeah. get two or three projects out of it by adding a 29-cent pole instead of a $1.50 zipper. And it's all in how you take that pole off to get it sewn back on. But I use the same zippers for as many projects as I can until I'm out of zipper. With so the where, where, where do you zippers. get the very tiny poles, though? I have them. I have them, too. Oh. And another treat, this is a secret, this is an insider trip. The little pole, you can actually cut the dongle off of the pole, and it still has a little tiny pole that looks exactly like the pole they use on Integrity Doll Clothes, for example. So the dongle is kind of unusually large scale, but the pole is very tiny, perfect scale for doll clothes. If you wanted to cut that off with a pair of wire snips, you would still have a perfectly tiny zipper. Oh, I'm getting out the pliers later. <laughs> really, I'm serious. I'm sending you some zippers. Let me I'm know what colors you want. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder, should I, well, should I now zip up sissy's dresses instead of... <laughs> <laughs> you might want to, I'm just saying. Instead of, well, I actually did them with snaps and they were perfect. I mean, the fit was perfect. Tremendous tip. Do you have any YouTube videos about that, Tamara? One of my initial YouTube videos is about replacing a zipper pole. The quality of that video might be in question, but the instructional content is very good. 
Um, yes, it's very easy. It's very specific. So I would definitely check out a video about it before I pull my zipper pull off. Oh, I off. think that's really great because it's so difficult to get tiny accessories. And I remember I, when I was a kid, you used to be able to buy packs for Barbie with zips. And so then you could make the McCall's pattern with the little zip and the fit would be beautiful. And then, you know, it got difficult to find all that. So this is really great. One of the great things about dolls is not just changing their clothes, but the accessories. And I believe that you also have some very interesting accessories to add to the costumes we make for our dolls. Tamara, could you tell us about them? Yes. Um, in addition to the notions, I also have a limited selection of doll wigs as well as doll shoes. But the wigs, to me, really change the look of the doll. And sometimes when I'm not inspired by a design, per se, I have to think in advance if I have the appropriate hairstyle to go with what the outcome is going to be. So you never want to sew a Regency style dress only to find out you don't have anything but a long curly beach wig. I mean, that's never going to work. So um, the fit of the wig and the availability of the wigs is a really fun extra ad for me. But I also want to encourage people to play with their wigs. If you notice when people are selling wigs on the internet, you might think, why are the bangs on that doll's hair so long? And then you may pass that by, even though the saran may look really pretty or it might be a really nice shine to the wig. And, you know, you have scissors, you're sewing with them, so you might as well give that doll a little trim. And you, you always start conservatively, right? You can always make it shorter, but you can never make it longer. But you can certainly make that wig into exactly what you're trying to do. And another tip with that is if it comes with those crazy tendrils that a lot of the updos come with, instead of cutting them off, you can just tuck them up inside the wig when you place them on the doll's head because another outfit may like a nice Jane Seymour wisp to it and you have it in that regard for both styles. But... I think wigs are a lot of fun. I just encourage people to know that they can be washed, they can be cut, they can be played with, you know. It's just another facet of how we can enjoy our dolls. Robert Tonner said that recently on the Doll Podcast. He, he was talking about wigs for Ellen Wilde. And he said he likes to, you know, trim and do little things with it to style it up in a different way. So we really should be brave, get out the scissors and unleash our inner hairdresser. <laughs> what shoes do you have? Because shoes can be a really difficult thing to find. Shoes are absolutely a challenge. Um, the shoes that I carry have been on the market for a long time. The Monique Trading Company was a big supplier in the United States, and they went out of business last year. And I was fortunate enough to stock up quite a bit with their inventory. So the shoes that I have will fit Sissy, American Model, Tyler, Jean, primarily, anyone with a unique foot like uh, Antoinette or Cami, those dolls, or even the RTB 101 body doll requires a really different uh, foot uh, or shoe. And I would definitely send people in the direction of Marsha Friend of Facets by Marsha, who just does phenomenal, beautiful shoes. And accessories are really important when you're building your collection and when you're building a look for your dolls and having some fun with them. Absolutely. And one thing that people, when they're thinking about adding different elements to a look, they don't have to go as far as they think. They just need to go to Hobby Lobby in, in America or a similar craft store to the jewelry section. 
and then you deconstruct a bracelet into 47 pairs of earrings or a necklace, or you find just the perfect color or shape to the stones, and then you create your own. And you usually can do that for several dolls based on whatever you purchase. It doesn't have to be expensive a little wire cutter here or there, and you've got your own set of jewelry to go with your own created wig and your new fashion. And ta-da, <laughs> your you've own got, design. So You've got your own look and you've created your own look from the ground up. And it's amazing. Yeah, I like to go to flea markets here in Vienna and I look for old bits of jewelry and broken up stuff with tiny beads that are perfect for dolls. Absolutely. I love that. In addition to contemporary doll fashions, you also explore historic eras, Regency, Victorian, flapper era, and vintage looks from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. What's your favorite era, and what inspires the fashions? Well, I'd have to say I don't have a specific. I, I, like many people, really, really enjoy the glamorous movie stars of the 40s and 50s. I think they're classic and never go out of style. I personally am super inspired by the Poppy Parker line of dolls through Integrity because of her whimsy and yes. carefree nature. Um, I was born a little bit later than her, but I really enjoy the fun of her outfits. I think they're very simple designs and uh, easily created because it's a lot of A-line, you know, not a lot of fitted clothes. But I just love a, you know, a short crop top with long sleeves and bell-bottom pants and crazy hair and wild glasses. I think that's fun. So I'm inspired by that. I love the Regency era too. I think that's a, a really beautiful and glamorous time. It is. And now with programs like Bridgerton and all the Jane Austen dramas, it really is a beautiful era to dress your doll in. And you can interpret it so many different ways depending on what character inspires you. Are there any films or books or dramas that inspire your historic looks? Only recently did I create a pattern uh, from the Regency era, and it was inspired by the Bridgerton series. Uh, I just enjoyed watching that. And while watching the show, I noticed a tulip sleeve. I'd never seen that design before. And I thought, that's, <laughs> as I've said, that's an interesting sleeve. I wonder how you make that. <laughs> so, you know, I did my own YouTube searching and looked at some different patterns. And I thought, I need to do a Regency dress with that tulip sleeve. Now, what Regency outfit would not be complete with a Spencer jacket? So I thought that would be a nice element to add. I hadn't had that previously. And then, you know, just add a little ruffle to complete the look. That's been a popular pattern. And I really, really thought it was fun to create. I can't wait till Bridgerton comes back. I think I'll dress up all the dolls. <laughs> One of the most popular historic looks that I've seen on your pattern site is inspired by the Outlander series about time travelers Claire and Jamie Fraser. What made you decide to create these costumes? Because they're just fabulous. I am very fortunate to have a couple of longtime customers that just seem to have their finger on the pulse of what might be successful. One woman in particular, and I would like to say her name is Cindy. I've probably known her 15 years. She said to me the top three patterns that I've sold. She made those suggestions when she met me. The first one was steampunk. I created a Jules Verne-ish type of pattern, did it for several dolls, and it was hugely successful. She also contacted me and said, are you watching this series called Outlander? This is really fantastic, and it would be so great. 
Immediately, I was drawn to the red dress, which is so classic. And then I looked back into the history of how that design came about. It has cartridge pleating. The original costume was made from some amazing, like 20 yards of fabric in the skirt. And I thought, that is a challenge. So I looked into how you do cartridge pleating and did my doll scaled version of if MacGyver made that dress, what would it look like? And that's how I came up with that. Now, if I could go back in time and recreate that pattern, I would get the undergarments more correct. I wasn't really sure what was under that skirt. So that would be something where I would try to build a little bit more structure if I were recreating the pattern today. But I've seen some beautiful examples of people making that. So it must be working with the instructions and elements that it has so far. It's a fantastic pattern. Robert Tonner made a doll from the Outlander series, and he made the character and they had the dress. But sometimes you can find the Claire Fraser doll, but you can't find the dress. So you get your pattern and Claire goes to the ball and looks fabulous. She does look fabulous. (laughs) One thing we should talk about is we talk, we're talking now about historic designs. We're talking about modern designs. How do you find fabrics for dolls? Because for example, it's really fun to sew with velvet or satin, but when you're scaling it down to, let's say, especially like Barbie size or even jean size, it can be difficult to work with some fabrics. So what tips could you possibly give the listeners about what they should be looking for, for example, when they want to create evening wear or day wear for a doll? I would have to say uh, fabric selection should first be based on the level of your skill because you want to have a successful product at the end of the experience. And you want to pick a fabric that is user-friendly to your level of comfort. Forever, I avoided knits. And my mom lives in town here. She's a great seamstress. She would be like, it's so easy. They're so easy. And I just thought my sewing machine is eating them. I don't find any pleasure in this. Um, It took me a long time to make friends with them. But once I did, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so easy. So it is a learn, a learned experience. For me, I started out with cotton or woven fabrics. Um, I had an opportunity because of a local store to get a lot of beautiful silk, which behaves very similar to cotton. You know, what you cut out is the shape of the pattern piece, and it also is the shape of the end product. Whereas knits, they look like they wouldn't look nice. And then you put them on and they look fantastic. Um, So definitely I would start with your skill level in mind and your comfort comfort level with different types of fabric. Then from there, if you're looking for something specific, small print or small scale, I am a huge fan of thrifting for the proper fabric. And when I say that, I mean going to my local thrift store with an idea in mind of what I want. So maybe I want a small print with a little metallic in it. I always start with skirts. Those are the largest pieces of flat fabric without a lot of seams in them necessarily. Then maybe a suit. These are, you know, you have to go by the size of doll you're sewing for and how much actual fabric you need. And then I might go through the blouses. And when I'm doing that, I'm specifically just looking quickly at the color category and then looking for the pattern. Then I touch it. You know, anybody that sews a lot has to touch it. You got to touch the fabric, feel the texture, make sure it's the appropriate weight. And then you also want to consider if it's going to fray a lot. So if you're sewing for something very small, like a 12-inch doll, and you use a fabric with a larger weave, 
it is really going to be a challenge to trim the seam allowance and not have the seams pull apart. So those are some of the things I would keep in mind. But definitely easy fabrics are the wovens to start with. And as you tiptoe out, you can try the knits. And then from there, you can get into the more fancy sequins are my next uh, adventure. I've only sewn one thing with sequins for fear. I had fear, but it turned out pretty good so far. You guys might see it sometime in the future. <laughs> oh, that's something to look forward to. Do you do any videos about fabric selection or how we should deal with fabrics? I do have a few that discuss the topic of knits and some suggestions for learning to sew uh, better with them. I'm not an expert about fabric. I really just gravitate towards things that I know are comfortable for me to sew and with the end product in mind. So if I was learning, I would maybe take a different path. But because I have a fashion in mind, then I think weight, scale, texture, that type of thing going forward are one advantage about thrifting the fabric is also a lot of the harsh dyes and things that are used in commercial fabric is already washed out when a garment has been yes. sewn. And there is the concern of not staining people's dolls and being careful. Never store your dolls in dark clothes. We all have had experiences where this happened. So that's yet another good reason to stop by and support that local nonprofit. <laughs> You're also reusing fabric, which is uh, very green, and we want to be sustainable. So it's a great way of doing it. Sometimes when my husband is buying a shirt and I suggest a floral pattern and I say, how long do you think you're going to wear it? And literally, I'm looking at it thinking. You've already cut a dress out of the back oh, of his shirt. yeah. Can we sew your patterns by hand or do we need a sewing machine? Because you mentioned you use a sewing machine. Um, what do you recommend to people who are looking at your patterns? The patterns are designed to be sewn with a sewing machine. If someone has a high level of skill hand sewing, I'm not one of those people, I'm sure they could create a similar look using the hand sewing techniques. I think it would take a, a very long time. Some of the items require quite extensive hemming and things like that. Um, but I would recommend a sewing machine if I had a chance to speak with someone and, and advise them. The sewing machine does not have to be fancy. It can be as simple as a straight stitch and a zigzag. I think you should use what is comfortable and natural for you. Like you said, I sewed with the simplest machine forever and ever and still do. And I think that it shouldn't be such a challenge for people if they're a little bit worried about how they'd start sewing. There's lots of price points and lots of ways of starting to do this. The main thing to take away from starting any hobby or craft is just to start. You know, that is... There's no right way, there's your way, and you have to find it. So you can be technically trained or you can be, you know, personally trained through experience and still end up with some fantastic results. And the fact that they're different is the beauty of the creation, right? We're not all trying to create the exact same thing. We're all trying to create something that's expressions of ourselves. So we do that best by using our skill set, not assuming that there's a right way to get to the outcome. So... Uh, when I started the YouTube channel, I was very nervous that people would instantly <laughs> identify that I was not trained in fashion, that I was not a designer. But, you know, I am a designer of my patterns. And then people can create from that their designs. But 
it may not be the same way that you would learn at fashion school, but it still works. So that's a perfect example of, of just trying and, and creating something. Yeah, the results speak for themselves. So we've all got to be brave and learn new ways of doing things because it's fantastic to learn a new skill and just launch right in. Another doll you design for, and you design for this doll every month, is the beautiful Grace and you do it for the Virtual Doll Convention Club Grace subscribers. Tell us a little bit about that and what inspires you every month to make something new for Grace. The collaboration with the Virtual Doll Convention and Rachel Hoffman has been one of the funnest I know that's not really a word, but has been one of the funnest uh, opportunities for me in the last couple of years with my business, knowing Rachel and getting to know her crew, as well as being involved in this monthly subscription has inspired me to really look at what I'm doing on a regular basis. Before, I could just put a pattern out here or there based on my own women inspiration, but knowing that I have to create something each month it almost like keeps my mind continually aware of things around me and something that might be the next pattern. Um, it's inspired by that as well as the subscription boxes do have a monthly theme. So sometimes I'm on theme with what uh, Rachel's already putting in the box and sometimes I go completely a, a different direction. And because I have the latitude to do that, that also makes it extremely fun. For example, as a teaser for the December uh, box coming up, she's doing a lot of beautiful things. And my initial response was to stay on theme. But in this case, I've decided to go away from it in design, but stay on theme with color. So that's all I can really say oh. about that for right now. But I'm very excited about... Uh, what's coming out for the December box. So is this a Christmas look for Grace? Louisa, I just said, I can't particularly tell you the ins and outs of it. All I can say is to confirm that Christmas does in fact fall in <laughs> December. It is perhaps a December oriented look. That's about as good as it's going to get. Yes, a theme, a theme. I am producing the pattern for December with Christmas in mind, but also a design that can be used any time during the year. So it's not Christmas specific, but it could be based on the pattern of fabric that you choose. Ah, so it's versatile. <laughs> yes. So you make all these fantastic fashions for Club Grace and the virtual doll convention. It's a wonderful thing internationally because it's online. We can all participate. It doesn't matter that we're five hours ahead or seven hours behind. How did you get involved with the Virtual Doll Convention? I have to say getting involved with them has been such a fortunate opportunity for my business and for my soul. I enjoy my collaboration with them so much. Rachel and I are very similar people and I have so much respect for what she's brought to the doll community. But getting started could have just as easily been never starting with me. A customer of mine for uh, several years reached out to me via email and asked if I had heard about the Virgil Doll Convention. I believe they had done a few uh, different conventions by the time she asked me this question, and I had never heard of it. I was just living in my little box, you know, putting my little patterns out. I had no access to that or knowledge of it. And she said, well, there's a convention coming up. Maybe you could reach out to the creator, Rachel, and ask her for a spot in the sales room. 
So I thought, what that? I don't even understand what she's thinking I will do with this. Sell my patterns in the sales room. But, you know, I thought, okay, I should at least check. So I did reach out to Rachel and she told me the price. And I didn't even understand the concept of a virtual sales room because I was so used to appearing in public and carrying my 10,000 pounds of wares on the airplane to whatever destination. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll take a chance. My husband and I discussed it and I said, if I just gain one customer out of this experience, then it's going to be worth the, the price of enrollment, so to speak. So sure. uh, I ended up sewing fashions versus doing patterns because patterns are already available. So I did one-of-a-kind fashions. I made a lot of items, which were a conglomeration of different patterns. So I had a chance to be really creative. I opened the sales room, and it was hands down the most successful sales room I've ever participated in, in person and virtually. But the thing that really, really occurred to me was, had that person not thought of me, my customer, and said that to me, Two years later, I wouldn't be the pattern designer for Club Grace. I wouldn't have met this fantastic community of Robert Tonner enthusiasts. I wouldn't have been on the cutting edge of knowing the Elowen Wild releases and, and just had a chance to make all these friendships and relationships with these people. And so I really want to encourage people out there that do so or that do create things to just make sure they're listening because God's whisper can be really, really quiet or it can really shout in your face. But if you just give it a thought before you say no, it may turn out to be the best opportunity of your life. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that and so thankful. And the customer's name, by the way, was Doreen. So thank you, Doreen, for reaching out. <laughs> thank you, Doreen. And Grace thanks you, too, for all those fabulous fashions. Your YouTube channel not only covers the easy-to-follow sewing tutorials, but you also, as we mentioned, share box-opening videos introducing sensational new dolls that you were designing for. Well, the YouTube channel was started not so that I could become successful as a YouTube content creator, but it was created because I really didn't know there was a need in the market for people to see how to sew the patterns. And through the virtual doll convention, I was the um, uh, the sewer for a, one of the conventions. And I had such positive response and such encouragement from that, that people found value in the watching and understanding the different steps in sewing, that that's what made me start the channel. Uh, I never thought YouTube was even something that you would do as a business. And I'm not necessarily trying to do it as a business. I'm doing it strictly to promote my main business, which is pattern um, creation, and to support my customers to answer the questions that they might have. Tamara, your YouTube channel is just another way you reach out and encourage people to sew and create. Thank you for all the patterns, designs, and inspirations you give us to sew for dolls. And thank you for sharing the story of your journey. It's been such fun to talk to you, and thank you for all those sewing tips. I look forward to trying out some of those. It really has been a pleasure to be here, Louisa. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to hear the episodes that you have coming out next, because as I create patterns for people to sew, you create imagination in your doll podcast that bring us into the lives of all these fantastic people. And I can't wait for you to visit the United States so that we can uh, do a little sewing and sharing of our collections together. Oh, we've got to. That would be great fun. Oh, that's what's great about this hobby. It's about sharing. It's about fun. 
And, you know, if you come to Europe, we're going to meet. Okay, that's fine too. <laughs> that's a date. Thank you so much, Tamara. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on The Doll Podcast. To find out more about the dolls we discussed, please go to www.dollpodcast.com. There, we have many photographs and links so you can find out more about all these wonderful dolls. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as The Doll Podcast. Thank you for joining us on The Doll Podcast. We look forward to welcoming you next time.